All right, all right, all right. <clears throat> Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. My name is Daniel and with me is my co-host Robert. Today we're going to talk about the Schwarzenegger flick from 1987, set in 2017, The Running Man. Speaking of Running Man, how are you doing, Robert? The far-flung future of 2017. Get ready for it. This dystopian future. Oh man. Brutal. Yeah, I'm doing great, man. Let's 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 kick the shit out of this episode. It's gonna be fantastic. This this movie, classic Schwarzenegger. This is back in the days when he was cigar cigar stomp chomping and one liner to you know just toting. Just oh, so so beautiful. Yeah, this is um, peak Schwarzenegger right here. Peak. Yeah. He's in amazing physical condition. I mean, that's what he was known for back in the '80s and '90s, right? Yeah, he was more of a physical action star. I mean, he could he could say his lines. But you're not going to get like an Oscar-worthy performance out of him. You know, these, these movies are not. This role especially doesn't require a whole lot of like emotional action. There's a kiss at the end, and that's that's about it. Other than that, it's kind of a sardonic, just line spewing, whatever talk that um, really, you know, like any any angsty teenager could have pulled off. So, but it was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the way um, Stephen King intended it when he wrote the book. I don't think he meant it for it to be some sort of uh, jolly adventure, more of a horrific dystopian novel setting, but that's what Hollywood made. It's almost, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I almost, watching it, wanted to see a remake. Even though Hollywood is terrible about making remakes, and they make remakes of all things, everything, all the time, and they usually fuck it up, but... Uh, I mean, I don't know who you would get other than The Rock to play Schwarzenegger, but the the message of the movie is is fairly timeless as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, especially since a lot of the the gunplay and the you know it's very 80s, the special effects and the, it's like well we had enough money for one take and it didn't quite didn't quite look too good, but <laughs> to throw it in the final cut anyway. It's all we got, so let's go with it. Well, hey, before we get too much further into this episode, I just want to mention that this is going to be at actualanarchy.com slash 25. That's the number 25 or number 25. Robert, there's also some other recent news. We were just recently interviewed on Battle for Liberty just the other day. And so, uh, folks, after you listen to this episode, go ahead and, and uh, check out battleforliberty.com slash 39. They do some really great work over there. Uh, he had a very professional and uh, broadcasting quality sound to him. Great questions, and we had a good time with him. You want to talk about that for just a minute? Yeah, Mike Kilden over at the Battle for Liberty, um, he's been doing it for almost a year now, and he serves up what he calls to be like an introduction to liberty as he goes along on his journey. He's still 
feels like he's learning like we all are, but he's really taking his audience along on the journey as he comes along because he's a, a former police officer and um, comes at it with that perspective. It was really interesting to hear him talk about that. We didn't get into that on the, uh, on the episode, but we talked about it afterwards. And um, I know he's got plans for an upcoming episode. And so that I'm looking forward to that a great deal because you can imagine, I mean, having been an enforcer of the state and then realizing what you've done, it's got a way on you in a certain way. Um, uh, yeah, he was a really good host, asked some really good questions and had a really great, good time. And we might have him on our show soon, uh, maybe talking about some Robin Hood, maybe talking about some Equilibrium. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I think that those are two excellent movies to do and he would be a great guest to have on to do them. Uh, the other bit of housekeeping I wanted to mention is uh, in honor of watching Arnold in his peak and prime physical condition, it got me inspired to start working out again. So I've since done two, <laughs> two workouts in the uh, turbulence training that we talked about uh, back in the Mad Max episode. And so if you guys want to check that out, it's 30 minutes a day, three days a week, and you progress through various levels of intensity, uh, working your way on up. Like, it's one of those things that, that actually works. So if you want to check that out, readrothbar.com slash TT, so two T's, and that'll take you to the sales page for that. It's super cheap. It's like 20 or 30 bucks. Uh, it's just a bunch of videos that you can watch, um, and they've got uh, PDF showing you all the exercises and a meal plan and things like that. So I definitely recommend it. But why don't we get started on our show, The Running Man? So this is, yeah. as, you, as you indicated, a Stephen King movie or book, but he did it under his pen name or an alias. How would you say that? Pseudonym? Yeah, his other his other pen name, or yeah, pseudonym, yeah. Richard yeah. Bachman, which Richard. he wrote several several books as Richard Bachman, but um, before he ditched it all together and just, just did Stephen King. So this is one of his earlier earlier works. I think he wrote in the 70s. Yeah, the note I'm seeing here says back in 82 when he could uh, oh, okay. throw a football over them mountains. Nice. Yeah, so um, could you list off or read off the Google information on? Yeah, let's see how, how comically wrong this is. So this is the Google description indicates a 63% Rotten Tomatoes rating, and it says in the year 2019, America wow. is, a, is, <laughs> is a totalitarian state where the favorite television program is The Running Man, a game show in which prisoners must run to freedom to avoid a brutal death. Having been made a scapegoat by the government, an imprisoned Ben Richards, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, has the opportunity to make it back to the outside again by being a contestant on The Deadly Show, although the twisted host, Damon Killian, played by Richard Dawson, has no intention of letting him escape. Yeah, except for the, except for the year. I guess it's, it's, it's fairly accurate. It's actually 2017, or at least... The the beginning is maybe the actual like after the prison break and whatnot. I mean, we assume maybe he was in prison for maybe a year or two. He did have enough time to grow that pretty manly beard. Yeah, he looked like a lumberjack. He was good, good. Um, yeah. So the movie stars Arnold and we got Maria Conchita Alonso, Yafet Koto, Jesse Ventura, looking super lame as like Captain Freedom, where her name is. Uh, we got Richard Dawson as Damon Killian. He does a really good job. We got Jim Brown as Fireball. We got Erland von Litz de Jude as the super ridiculous Dynamo character, this opera spouting electric dude that drives around in this little go-kart. 
looks really dumb. I don't know why they thought he would be scary, but okay. Uh, we got Gus Reithwich as Buzzsaw, Mick Fleetwood as Mick, uh, Dweezil Zappa as Stevie, and Professor Tanaka as Sub-Zero. Uh, colorful cast of characters. Um, well, don't forget my Sven Oli Thorson, who oddly enough plays Sven. Uh, he's also the guy who is LaFour's in Mallrats, the uh, mall security guard. Oh, okay. So he was the bodyguard? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Good, good deal. He looked he looked big and tough. So here's the um the movie begins and we get treated to this opening opening scrawl. By twenty seventeen, the world economy has collapsed. And who knows what that means? I mean does that mean the people still aren't trading with each other anymore? I mean whatever. Food, natural resources and oil are in short supply. A police state divided into paramilitary zones rules with an iron hand. Television is controlled by the state, and a sadistic game show called The Running Man has become the most popular program in history. All art, music, and communications are censored. No dissent is tolerated, and yet a small resistance movement has managed to survive underground. When high-tech gladiators are not enough to suppress the people's yearning for freedom, more direct methods become necessary. Yeah, buddy, you know you're in for a treat. So the movie opens with Arnold Schwarzenegger playing this cop, and he is like a helicopter pilot, and they're flying with a, like a crew of like four guys in a heavily armed helicopter, and there's a food riot in progress in like downtown Los Angeles, and there are 1,500 people down there, and Arnie is ordered to kill them all, and he goes, no way, dude, I'm totally not going to do that, and they're like, you better do it, man. And he's like, nope, Tote's not going to do that. And so then they uh, basically beat him up, and then they frame him. They take the footage of what happened. Apparently, this is this is at the time of when there are movie-quality cameras in, in this helicopter, because we get treated to a scene later on of the um, edited footage, and it's the exact shots from the movie. So that's always fun. And uh, it's shown him as, the guy on the comm saying, no, there are women and children down there. Don't do it. And he's like, no, I'm going to murder them all for no reason. I mean, this is completely ridiculous. But so they frame him and he goes to jail. Yeah, did you, do you have anything to say on the, uh, the, the ridiculous helicopter opening scene? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, I guess they were just putting him in jail because he was defying orders, but they had to frame it in such a way to where he, the news media could report it where he was the one who was actually the aggressor, the butcher of Bakersfield. Um, and that was another big component of this, in that the media was not only state-controlled, but also uh, spouting total fabrications and lies, you know, very, very edited, very um, opposite of what actually happened. And I think that plays out a little bit today with the whole fake news thing. People think that anything alternative is now fake news, but then anyone who reads alternative news thinks that the mainstream media is fake news. I tend to side with the uh, alternative media for the most part, though you can definitely go down some rabbit holes here and there. Right. Yeah, their movie is very much reminiscent of 1984's Ministry of Truth, where they'll just concoct whatever, and then that becomes the narrative, and everybody assumes that they're hearing the truth. Yeah, though I will add that they did seem to think it was important to have the population believe the story. So they had to have the support of the people. Uh, and I guess that is 
sort of borne out in some of the quotes I've I've heard from. I think it might have been Rothbard where he said that even even the most uh, oppressive government still needs to have the support of the people. Uh, otherwise, it, they won't be able to hold it together. Yeah, um, yeah, because they obviously felt the need to lie to them after they were just going to murder a whole bunch of people. I mean, they were trying to suppress this food riot because they're incapable of providing food or they've restricted the flow of food more likely because really you just need to get out of the way and people will voluntarily provide food to each other. The economy collapsed in 2017 in the movie and and then they clamped down even harder. It would still be collapsed and probably worse. Right, every attempt by government to solve a problem ends up making it worse. Yeah, though I guess they say it's the collapse happened in 2017. By 2019, he's been wrongly convicted and escaped. So that two years of period of time, the food riots may have been related to the initial collapse. Mm, yeah, it could be. I mean, we see food riots in Venezuela these days, which is where the female star of the movie comes from. I mean, price controls are huge in causing problems with the flow of goods into a place or not. So what will happen will be like the Venezuelan government will limit the price that a store owner can sell a product for. Well, if it costs more for the store to get that good than they can sell it for, then, of course, the shelves are going to be empty. And then the people line up at the store to buy the goods, and then there aren't any to get there, and then they riot and whatnot. I hope they know the actual root cause of it, but they seem to just, like, hate the store owners (laughs) and riot and destroy the stores. And they also do blame Maduro and... You know, they'll riot in the streets for food, and then the, the soldiers will come and violently suppress them and, you know, end up killing a bunch of people. Yeah, and of course the Venezuelan government blames the capitalist governments for causing all this disruption. Like, their beautiful socialist paradise would work just fine if there wasn't meddling from the outside. And, right. you know, probably a little tiny grain of truth to that, but uh, having a socialist economic system is going to cause you most of these problems anyway. Right. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's an interesting note about the, what's her name, Maria Alon- uh, Conchita Alonso? That's it. Uh, so Maduro, the president of Venezuela, back in 2014, asked to uh, revoke her citizenship because she was a very uh, public criticizer of the Venezuelan socialist government policies. Nice. Uh, of course, she wanted the U.S. to intervene militarily uh, uh, into Venezuela. So it's not like she's, you know, on board with us. She's just against the commies in that respect. But, you know, she wants to use even more violence. She yeah, it's always disheartening when, when people in these horrific situations end up blaming, you know, this one guy and think that, you know, if we just get a different guy in there, it'll change. And sometimes, you know, there are small changes and what have you, but when you really have to look at the underlying principle in play and if it's socialism and, and you throw any you throw any socialist dictator in there and it's going to be equally shithouse yeah so we started talking about her already but let's let's get back to the narrative of the film uh and introduce her as a character and then start talking some more okay so uh the next scene is that arnie and a couple of fellow prisoners are in jail sort of like this kind of factory it is I I didn't get the sense that when they were making this movie that they have the biggest budget. Um, They're kind of at this factory, and they stage this 
really kind of bad prison break scene where Arnold is spouting some one-liners and grabbing an M16 and kind of like just waving it around (laughs) and guards are just falling over dead. And there's a whole line of this kind of nerd guy and how he kind of saw a code and this code is going to allow them to all escape because they all have these collars around their necks, which will explode if, you know, placed under the right conditions. Yeah, it's like an Invisalign fence for your dog, except it makes the head explode if you go past it. Right, and Chico is this prisoner who apparently has had enough of everything, and everyone's shouting at him to not run because the fence isn't down yet, and he knows that he just starts taking off, and his head explodes. I don't know exactly why that was, or it's just handled really poorly, but it seemed like he was just irrationally stupid where everybody uh, else was like... You know, I remember that scene, and there was some interference going on when Weiss was trying to enter the code, which was 653-9X, by the way. No. Uh, and so there was some, like, the the field is down, the field is up, the field is down. There was, like, some back and forth a little bit. And Chico got fooled into thinking it was down when it came back up. So he was running, and then his head blew up. And if you actually watch closely, you can actually see that it's a guy with his head down with a fake head up behind him and the fake head blows up and then the guy still runs for a bit before he falls over and you can tell that it's a dude with his head um, kind of tucked down. But, you know, special effects back in those days. Yeah, I actually thought it looked pretty good. I thought they did a pretty good job. But now that you've ruined it for me. As I do. It's terrible, everybody. Uh, So they end up escaping and then they escape into the L.A. underground and there is a small resistance movement that is fighting against this totalitarian government. And there's one part where they go by a um, talking billboard, and the lady says that there's a double bonus for reporting a family member, and that just reminded me of the struggle sessions in China and the current situation in North Korea, where everybody is forced to tattle on everybody else, especially family members, or else there's massive repercussions yeah, you get a little bit of that even in the United States these days with um, school children being told or asked if uh, there's guns in their home and things of that nature. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I think it's an interesting one in this movie, um, as the prisoners are getting their collars taken off, um, the nerd guy and the other guy are kind of like keen to join the resistance, whereas Arnold is like... He says, all I see are a bunch of low foreheads who think that it can change the world with talk. It's too late for that. So he says, he, he, he decides that he's going to just kind of like go off into the d- d- sunset and live his life. His brother's got a fang and he's going to try and hook him up with another thing. And he doesn't yeah, want to get involved. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of given up. He's a, a bit of a right. nihilist in this respect. And right. that, that quote did actually stick out to me as well because that's essentially what we're doing as libertarians, as anarchists, is... Now, we are trying to talk to people and convince and educate and uh, not even educate so much as just get interest peaked so that people will take the initiative to check it out more themselves. You know, it's, it's sort of like you have to whet their appetite and then get them looking for, for answers. Right. Absolutely. And that and that struck me the same way. I when he said that you think they can change the world with talk, I'm like, damn it, isn't that what I'm doing? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think he's a, wrong in that. In that respect, I think you can change the world through talk. That's that's essentially how you do it. 
I mean, he, he, I think he's advocating for violence in this, in this. Either, is he advocating for violence with this, or do you think he's advocating for, you just can't change the world? It's just, it's just fruitless to try. I think he's doing two things. One, he's saying that it's too late for talk, that violence would be the only way to, to solve it, but it's too late for that, and he's giving up. Okay. So, good old quitter Arnie, that's our hero in this movie, everybody. Um, it, 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 this is also the time where he's always smoking a cigar, and I think that was like in his contract. He was like a big star. This is after Predator, I think, or is it right before Predator? I'm not sure, but it was after Conan the Bavarian, and it was after t- the first Terminator. So he's a huge, huge star at this point. And I think it's funny that not only is he smoking a cigar, which is not exactly his character. I mean, when he does it in like Commando or Predator. You could see, like, some Marine guy just smoking a cigar. He's, like, a tough guy. But this movie, he's, like, an ex-cop that's, like, a straight-laced dude, and then he's growing a beard in prison. And I was like, where did you... Okay, I guess you're smoking a cigar and never seen. I guess, okay, I guess. And then he's wearing this World's Gym shirt, which is, like, I guess he had a piece of it at the time, so he's, like, helping promote it. Yeah, or, or a product placement deal, something like that. Right. Yeah, there is a, a scene later on where they're like buying Coca-Cola and it's like $6 for a Coke and they're kind of lamenting the expense of it. Yeah, I remember watching this movie as a kid and thinking, $6 for a Coke, man, that's insane. And here we are, you know, actually 2017 and I don't even know how much a, a can of Coke would be in a machine, but it's probably over a dollar now, right? It used to be probably a quarter when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. Right, um, so before we get too much further, I wanted to bring up uh, a, a few quotes from Mises about the whole nihilist idea of, you know, it's too late for talk, too late for education. So here's a few quotes from him. In liberalism, he says, in a battle between force and ideas, the latter always prevails. And he says, in economic policy, we must fight all that we dislike in public life. We must substitute better ideas for wrong ideas. Only ideas can overcome ideas. Good stuff. Yeah, man, I've been adding hundreds of quotes to the website. So if anyone is interested in Mises, Rothbard, Hoppe, uh, George Carlin, other quotes, go to actualanarchy.com slash quotes, and there's a few hundred in there. Very searchable, awesome stuff. So a little plug for our own stuff here. And I would add that the pen is my ear and the sword and other things like that. I mean, you could, when you, when you force, you know, you could lead a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Ideas, as they say in V for Vendetta, are bulletproof. Whereas, uh, and there are also another quote like, "Nothing can, no force on earth can stop a time an idea as time has come." Is that one that Ron Paul quotes, or, or is that his quote, or does he just talk about it? You're asking the wrong guy. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, so just to you know, stray from the path a little bit more. Uh, so my brothers growing up were fairly religious, and one especially so, and he would get confrontational in your face pushing religion and i think that's exactly the wrong way to approach things uh and and i think when people first get into libertarian thinking they of course want to you know preach it to the world you know get it out there get in people's faces about it uh but i think that that doesn't come off very well and so we try to take a more nuanced approach i mean we do get into discussions with people but it's more trying to spark some thought, you know, challenging their circular reasoning, showing the contradictions in their thinking, and then giving them some little, you know, breadcrumbs to to follow from there. 
And, and we hope that this show where we talk about movies from this perspective is sort of a way of doing that. So if you're kind of new to these ideas, uh, we hope that this does provoke some thought in, in your head. And uh, we've, we've got tons of articles on the site and other resources available. Reach out to us. Um, you can reach me at Daniel at ReadRothbard.com and Robert's at Robert at ReadRothbard.com. So um, getting back to this movie, Daniel. So Richard Dawson, he plays this, basically plays himself, where he's this game show host slash asshole guy. And the, the first scene we're treated to him is like very cult of personality. He's on the big number one show and everybody loves him. And he's coming to work. And this janitor, he kind of trips over this janitor. And he's like, oh, hey, no worries. It's all good, buddy. And he walks a few more feet, and he's like, if that guy is still at work here tomorrow, you're fired, or basically. And it shows how much of an asshole he is, but in my ideal world, that's, that's perfectly fine. You, you don't have to have any reason whatsoever to not want to associate with somebody. You can fire anybody for any reason at any time. And anybody who's working for a place could get another job. Um, there's really no problem in that respect, uh, did you have any issues with that scene at all? I just kind of showed him as being a, a bit of a dick, you know, another dick move. That's, that's something we talk, talked about in Hacksaw Ridge when the Japanese were surrendering. It was kind of a dick move for them to then uh, kill their per, prospective captors. Uh, and in this instance, yeah, Richard Dawson, it was kind of his fault. He wasn't looking where he was going, and he runs into this guy. It was a total accident. And even uh, the one the one part I didn't like was that, to the guy, he's like, oh, don't worry about it, not a problem. And then as soon as he gets in the elevator, he's like, I don't want that guy sweeping the floors here tomorrow, otherwise you're going to do it. Yeah. So a bit fraudulent, I guess. But like you were saying, if it's his business, he should be able to have people working for him or not working for him for whatever reason. doesn't matter. Yeah, and if, you know, he's a total asshole to his employees and fewer people will want to work for him. And the market has a way of working things out. <laughs> but in the movies, we don't necessarily get accurate representations of the market. So yeah, that's hey, where we you, come in. If, if we want to get controversial, uh, I do have a Walter Block quote that was just added to the site today that's related to this type of thing, this work environment. Yeah. All right. So here it is. Consider the sexual harassment, which continually occurs between a secretary and a boss. While objectionable to many women, it is not a coercive action. It is rather part of a package deal in which the secretary agrees to all aspects of the job when she agrees to accept the job, and especially when she agrees to keep the job. The office is, after all, private property. The secretary does not have to remain if the coercion is objectionable. Sure, she doesn't. Um, so, he's, so he contradicted himself there. First he said it wasn't coercion, then she, he said it was coercion. Yeah, he has it in quotations in the second part. It, oh, oh okay. it doesn't read. I didn't read it properly, but yeah, she, he he's basically making the argument that that's part of the environment in which she agreed to work, and if if it's a something she's continuing to go to work there, there's nothing preventing her from leaving. Right. Get another job. But if, you know, a lot of people have leftist thinking where it's like you have a right to a job or a right to your job if you have a job. Um, like there's no other or, alternative. Or, right, or a right to a certain environment in that job. That's a big thing, especially feminists and other people will, will rail about. And Well, there needs to be certain standards in a workplace when the market can handle all this stuff. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, and it goes into the workplace safety and lighting conditions, heating, cooling, whatever. 
And it, yeah, it's all related. Like people would decry sweatshops. Well, what's the alternative? You know, well, what else would they have done differently? And what if there's a competitor to that sweatshop that says, hey, I'll give you an air conditioned environment. Um, I'm going to have to pay you less, but you know, then you can choose between the two, right? All right. And yeah, they, they celebrate when like a sweatshop gets closed, but then they don't celebrate the fact that those people are out now out of jobs. <laughs> it's, it's fun being a leftist. Okay. So, uh, Captain Freedom, he's on the, he's a workout host and we get our, our lady. She's doing some, some workouts that you would do in the eighties. You'd put on a cassette tape and you would put on your stretchy pants and your like sweatbands and you would just go to town doing some cardio. And then in breaks in our hero. But he's not necessarily breaking in, or at least he doesn't understand or know that he's breaking in. But he is now a wanted man, and this is where it gets kind of sticky for me. So he is, he's going into his, what he believes is his brother's apartment. Because his brother had said, yeah, when you get out, you know, come see me, and we'll set you up with what you need to do, like a job and whatever, job and a place. So he goes to his brother's apartment. And for some reason, the code he uses to get in the apartment still works. So the lady who had moved in a month earlier decides to not change the, the the locks or the code, which is dumb, but okay. So he gets in there, and he finds out that his brother had been taken away for re-education. But he's in a sticky situation at this point because, one, he is fraudulently framed, right? He is an innocent man that is on the run from the government. And here is this innocent woman who he finds himself in her home, and what do you do? What he decides to do is he decides to assault her and tie her up. But if he had run, I mean, she would have, like, you know, called the police, and he would have had to escape the police and whatnot. Um, what did you think of that scene, Daniel? Um, what would you have done in that situation, do you think? Yeah, that is a sticky one. I mean, he thought that he was in a uh, property that was his brother's and he was invited into. It wasn't until a little bit later that he discovered that it was now this woman's apartment. But like you were saying, he's in a self-preservation mode, right? He's he's on the run. And so I think that he was doing things to make sure that he wasn't caught. Uh, I don't know if it justifies him assaulting her, though it was a little bit of a tame I mean, he was just, like, trying to keep her quiet and just sort of making, like, threats to her. Like, he lifted up the, the workout bench and, like, ripped, ripped the bolts out of the floor just to show how strong he was. Um, yeah, he also tied her up. Yeah, tied her up. It's a tough one. Uh, I mean, if, if she's able to call the police or, you know, make a ruckus and the police come, then you've got guns and more violence involved and... and death and injury. I don't think he was going to kill her or no. attempt to injure her. He was just trying to you know, keep her quiet. And she wasn't right. in a so position he... to understand um, what was going on at that moment. You know, she was still in like a panic, like there's someone in my house. Right. So do you think he handled it well or as well as he could have? Or do you think that he should have just turned turned around and ran out? Uh, I think he handled it probably as well as he could have, short of running out. But, you know, then where does he go? Right. Yeah. But I did want uh, to mention that, that when he first comes in there and she's doing the workout, she's got, like, voice control. She's got, like, the Amazon Echo, the Google, and the Siri thing going on. I mean, 
there's a lot of uh, future technology that's actually present in today's world that they foresaw, you know, to be around in 2017, 2018, 2019, whatever. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's pretty accurate, actually. When in a lot of movies that don't get anywhere near the future, when they try and predict the future, um, this one has actually had a few parts that were very much so. So he's got her tied up, and he starts rooting around in her possessions for incriminating things or exactly what he's looking for. I'm not sure, but he finds black market clothing. So this is a completely totalitarian place that has black marketed clothing. Censored music, because all art is censored. And, of course, all travel is controlled and regulated. So he steals her travel pass. And what he ends up doing is he drags her along with him, essentially kidnapping her. Now, here's another thing, kind of similar to what we were just talking about. He could have just left her at her apartment, but then I guess he would have been a suspicious person traveling by himself. Uh, easier to find, I suppose. What he ends up doing is he buys tickets to Hawaii and then puts on this like Hawaiian shirt, which sets up the best line in the movie as far as I'm concerned. And then he kidnaps her and takes her along with him. Now, I had a real issue with this, especially because at one point he threatens to murder her. Um, and I, I mean, I, he wasn't acting, you know, very heroic as far as I'm concerned. He acted just more like a thug, like go along with what I'm doing or else I'm going to kill you. At one point he says, I can snap your neck like a chicken. But the best line in the movie is he's wearing this ridiculous Hawaiian shirt and she threatens to throw up all over him. And he's like, go ahead. It won't ruin this shirt. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> so I agree. This is a very conflicted situation, uh, very similar to what was going on in the apartment. Um, however, he had to take her with him because he was using her travel pass. And at the checkpoint, like the TSA screening, he presented her badge for her and then pretended like his badge was lost in her purse and caused a whole scene. And the, the line behind them was like, come on, hurry up. You know, they couldn't wait for like five seconds or whatever. Right. So you know, I think it was part of his plan to get onto the airplane and he needed her because it was her travel badge and that needed to match up because he couldn't fly with her badge. Um, so he just quickly. So you're, you're giving me a very Machiavellian ends justify the means argument here. Well, I'm saying that there's a, there's a, a method to his madness. You know, the script. Sure. The script was he needed to get on this plane, and the only way he could do that was to use her badge, but he needed her with him to use the badge, and then he needed to pretend like he had lost his badge or it was trapped in his purse that couldn't be found. I uh, yeah, I understand all that, for sure. And I understand what the script said. But, I mean, we're analyzing his actions on our non-aggression principle morality, and it sure seems to me... Like, he could have found other ways out that didn't involve kidnapping her. Like, he didn't have to take a plane. Maybe he could have taken a car. He could have taken a boat. Maybe he could have won, gone by foot. I mean, who knows? But it seemed like he went the most aggression way. Well, remind me, didn't something happen when he was in the apartment where the video of him escaping the prison was shown, and now he was, like, extra, the heat was was on extra, so now he wasn't going to be able to travel. Like, if he had left her and just ran, that he would have not had as, as much of a chance to, to escape. But that was afterwards. After they went, after the airport scene where he's captured, the girl is watching TV, and they show the people, the workers at the airport that he murdered, which, of course, didn't happen. 
And that's where she's like, wait, what? That didn't happen. Right, that's when she realizes it's fake news. But no, I'm backing up even further because there's an earlier scene right when he's getting into the brother's apartment then it shifts over to Richard Dawson and he has to talk to like the FCC or some other Department of Justice government agency, the entertainment division. And yeah. his ratings are dipping and uh, the department's upset about it. And he's like, you know, come up with some bullshit answer. Tell them to fuck, fuck themselves <laughs> or whatever, which I thought was really cool. But then Dawson sees the prison break and he goes, oh, this is beautiful. You know, I need this guy. So then he says, get me the president's agent. And of course, he means the president of the country. Uh, and they have an agent uh, because he wants Arnie to be his next contestant on the show. And right. this all happens b- before he gets captured at the airport. Okay. So what you were saying that Arnold gets him more information that's saying that he has to get out fast or something like that that changes his behavior. I think so, but I don't quite recall. This is one of those movies you can kind of half watch, or at least you think you can. <laughs> it's a right. popcorn oh, well. It's fine. It's fine. Let's just, just move on. Um, I don't think he was acting the most morally, but he's also, I mean, this is, you know, the poison of government, right? I mean, not only is he wrongfully imprisoned, but now he's on the run and to avoid, you know, for his own self-preservation, he has to, or he feels that he has to aggress against some other people. Um, you know, I don't know how I would act in that situation or myself. I mean, I, who knows when f- flight or fright takes over. Uh, maybe you're going to make some mistakes. Um, but for me, uh, he, he wasn't the most moral actor at that point in the movie. Yeah, but so, you, you are dealing with the totalitarian, totalitarian police state. He was already in prison. Uh, he knows they're all lying about things. Uh, he murdered a bunch of prison guards. He saw Chico's head explode. I mean, he, he's been through some shit by this point. And his brother oh, yeah, didn't I mean, off. So. Sure, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he wants to get the hell out of there. He wants to get away from... These people, and not to mention the fact, yeah, how many people did he murder escaping? For sure. Well, I, I don't know if I even say it's murder. It seems more like self-defense to me, but yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know. Do you want to talk about whether or not it's self-defense when you're breaking out of prison? Whether you kill a guard or not? I mean, these are people that are violently keeping you locked in a cage. I mean, do you have a, a moral right to do whatever you have to to get out of there? I mean, these are people that are violently assaulting you to keep you in a cage. Yeah, and he was, of course, wrongly imprisoned, and he knew they were lying about it and that they weren't going to let him go. He was never going to get a fair trial. In fact, that was one of the prizes on the show was getting a fair trial, which I thought well, was a jury trial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, thought was, I thought that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> one of the fabulous prizes was the jury trial. So, okay, so he is captured. She, um, They're walking through the, the airport, and she basically screams, and he has to make a run for it, and the cops are on him, and they capture him. And so he wakes up, and Dawson is, comes into his room and starts talking to him, and he basically says that, you know, you need to do this Running Man show. And he, of course, doesn't want to, but he's saying you have to do it or else we're going to make your friends do it, basically forcing you to do it on the show. But I think it was funny that he's saying, well, you should, you know, you, you're going to have to volunteer because that's kind of another of the lies that they say that these people all volunteer to be on this show because oh, yeah they even had this big long contract and and a lawyer type person reading it to him right to give it like this air of legitimacy so he basically says yes okay i mean i'll do it i think i have a better chance of survival whatever don't don't hurt my friends 
and um, they implant him with all kinds of like tracking devices, and then they knock him out with like knockout gas. And then we get the scene about the girl watching the TV, and there's uh, lies about the airport event, and she's like completely shocked that the news would lie, which is really kind of quaint. <laughs> I mean, is there somebody out there who is still at this point shocked that the the mainstream media would lie about something? Uh, maybe, but it, hopefully not. Yeah, I hope that they're losing their their grip on things. I know that ratings are down on all these major media television networks, but they do have a big online presence, and I think that that's primarily just a shift from television consumption to on demand, you know, via computer, tablet mobile phone and of course they have the name recognition so they still have their stories out there but there is now alternative media like the internet has pretty much anything you're looking for um i found a gif of a sausage lifting weights and i used that uh, in a group that i chat with from time to time we were talking about something being a sausage fest uh the internet's got everything I really don't need to hear about your uh your perverted activities to i don't know if that's appropriate for the podcast that's one of the bonuses. Uh, okay, bonus content for you guys. Uh, so do you have any issues? I mean, I thought when he stabbed the lawyer with the pen, it set up a funny line, but, I mean, it seemed like a dick move. Like, why did he have to stab the lawyer with the pen? I mean, he presents him with his back, like, here to sign this thing. And, of course, Richard, his name is Ben Richards, the character's name, and he thinks it's all, you know, a bunch of bullshit. He knows he's just going to get murdered. So he's like, yeah, don't forget to send me a copy <laughs> after he stabs him and the lawyer's running away with his pen and contract stabbed on his back. Yeah, that was the court-appointed theatrical agent. It, it, it was kind of ridiculous. I mean, the guy was part of the, the apparatus that was violently attacking him, uh-huh. but he also kind of just knew that he could do it and get away with it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he's about to go right onto this television show where he's going to be fighting for his life and figures he's going to be dead anyway, so get it, get his licks in while he could, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. What he sees is oppressing him or attacking him. But it was ridiculous having him sign it at all because it wasn't consensual, but now they have a signature on this thing that sort of, like you were saying, has an air of legitimacy to it. It's like uh, just going through the motions or ceremonial process of something that maybe had meaning at some point in the past, but then has now since lost its sense of meaning, and now it's just ritual. It seems like a yeah, lot of things... Like- Related to government go that direction. Definitely. And it's, you know, it's a gun against your head and saying, here, sign this. And then say, you sign it. And they're like, look, you signed it. Totally. I mean, it's like these confessions that a lot of cops get out of people all over the country where they're, they're beaten and coerced heavily. But then once they sign the thing, they're like, oh, look, you know, he totally agreed and admitted that he did this crime. And just it just so happened that the uh, the camera in the interrogation room didn't didn't seem to work for about six hours while we were beating the shit out of him. So, yeah, and good time. I, I, I did like how the court appointed theatrical agent when he did say, "Oh, use my back." He said, "Use my back, victim." Like he addressed him as victim. Oh, did he? I didn't yeah. notice that. <laughs> then they introduced Richard Dawson. Opens the show with the cleverly edited footage of him murdering all of these uh, protesters, right? Right, exactly, with all the uh, cameras that supposedly existed in the helicopter at the time, with all the different camera angles. And they were tugging at all the emotional strings, like he was saying a lot of things like, oh, these women and children, families, they were starving, they were innocent, and he savagely murdered them. You know, just working up the crowd, the audience, you know, live studio audience, into just hating this guy. 
Yeah. And they provide, I love that they provide absolutely zero motive for why he did it. I mean, even if you, you follow their bullshit narrative, why would he just, I mean, he's a cop and there's all these other cops in this helicopter. I mean, wh- why, first of all, why would he have just opened fire on these crowds unless he was ordered to? And uh, yeah, it, it makes zero sense. But I guess, you know, a lot of the news makes zero sense when it's just made up. So, yeah. And I like how Dawson introduced him and says, he could have gone to prison, but instead he volunteered to be on the running man. And he may win one of the fabulous prizes, like trial by jury, suspended sentence, or even a full pardon. Right, then he goes and shows all the uh, previous winners of last season, who are all clearly sunning themselves on a green screen in Hawaii. Then Dawson immediately shows how he was a complete liar, and puts his his friends on the show anyway. So the three of them are all thrown into this 400 square block area, and they have to survive for three hours. And at this point, Arnold tells Dawson that I'll be back. So <laughs> it's like, it makes no sense except for, well, it kind of makes sense, I guess, but it seems like they really tried to shoehorn in that line for the movie. It's like, why? What? Well, the audiences really seem to like it when he says, I'll be back. So we need to put him, may have him say it in this movie. Uh, really? I mean, I, I guarantee you Stephen King did not write, I'll be back in his book. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely not. But yeah, it was. You know, Arnold now wanted to seek revenge against Richard Dawson for betraying his word and having his friends be in there as well. Um, I did want to mention that uh, in addition to the fabulous prizes the contestant may win, the audience can win as well. And they can win procreation pills or the Running Man home game. Yeah, they um, throughout the show, they're brought up to predict who would draw first blood or get the next kill, that sort of thing, or call up who they want which um, stalker is released to go and try and kill them. So there, you get the, the audience members, and then you we're given this other scene repeatedly throughout the movie of these people taking bets, and there's a whole bunch of gamblers who are placing bets on who's going to get the next kill or what have you. So it's a, big, it's a big production, and everybody's making money. And then we get a scene where the girl is with her interest piqued by seeing the false news report, she goes into the, like, basement area and starts digging up, like, the actual... And I love how she goes into this this uh, this set of drawers or whatever and pulls out this these, um, like, chips. I don't know what you would call them, like, uh, hard drive, like, little SD cards. And one, one of them says, you know, like, unedited footage of... Bakersfield Massacre or whatever it is. <laughs> it's just like, okay, I guess that's what you would write on one of those. But that was funny. And then, so then she immediately gets caught. A man is brought up and he's asked to say who your favorite is a woman. Maybe, I don't know, I remember. But uh, she says that her favorite stalker is Sub-Zero. So the first um, stalker that's released is a guy on a in a hockey rink wearing ice skates. And uh, Arnold and the other guys have got to kill him somehow. There's even a part where Sub-Zero is, uses his, he's got like a hockey stick, but with also with, a, with an edge to it. But instead of just killing people, of course, he has to play around with them first. And he ends up throwing the nerd guy into like, he scores a goal with him for some reason, which kind of clamps down and like, oh no, I'm, I'm stuck in this little cage. And then... Um, yeah, Arnold and the other guy work together, you know, teamwork style, and um, end up cutting his throat with some razor wire. 
using some environmental damage. Um, and everybody in the studio is like super shocked and sad. Like, oh, that's not, that's not how it's supposed to go. This is, this is bad news. This, we're, we had a, we're emotionally invested in these murderers and, uh, you know, these are just good patriots. I think at one point Dawson talks about how the stalkers are just like these super fantastic people that, uh, died as patriots and they served the law and punished crime and they're just heroes. As we go along, um, Sub-Zero after he gets killed, Arnold says, now plain zero. <laughs> yeah. And he was a real pain in the neck. Yeah, it's uh, it's not 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 all gold, everybody. <laughs> They're kind of you know probably making these up on the day. Um, I did appreciate how they kept referring to it as a sport, not as like some sort of a murder simulator or whatever. They had like this air that it was their athletes or gladiators engaged in some sort of a combat sport. I mean, maybe that you could get away with saying that when it's like Arnold versus. I don't know, like Buzzsaw or somebody. But, I mean, the nerd guy against any of those other people, I mean, <laughs> would you really call that a sport? Or, you know, like Buzzsaw versus the girl or something? I mean, they couldn't match them physically. I mean, there's enough there's enough environmental stuff that you could use your your wits and outsmart these seemingly morons. But, I don't know, to call it a sport is kind of insulting. What do you, what do you think about that, Daniel? I don't know. I saw a lot of parallels, and, and this was also premonitions of, like, The Hunger Games. And I think shortly after this movie came out, there was a show on TV called American Gladiators. I think it goes back to Roman times, you know, gladiators fighting to the death for the entertainment of the masses, the bread and circuses. And it's today's NFL, Major League Baseball, and hockey, and all of those things just to placate the masses. And on the other end, you know, it, it is a bit free market in a respect that it has fans, it has willing consumers that want to go to the games and view the games on television, buy the gear, all that stuff. But I think that that's kind of what it's sort of drawing upon is... Right, but there's one major difference. is that all those sports and all those activities are all, except for the Hunger Games, are all voluntary, whereas this is very much not so much, or like as in at all. This is, this is you, you have a slight chance to maybe escape and survive but actually, actually, we find out that there is actually zero chance because even the quote-unquote winners have been executed. So this is just a murder, a murder, murder for entertainment thing. Yeah, indeed. Um, I did think it was funny when they, um, after they catch the girl and they're like ginning up the audience with how terrible a person she is. They talk about how she had sexual relations with two different men, maybe three different men a year. <laughs> yeah, and she cheated on her college exams. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh man, she's she's the devil. That's for sure. We could definitely murder her. I mean what is the what's the bar required to cheer on somebody's murder? Well she she told a lie once. She <laughs> she she stepped on a bug one time. I mean what what is the bar here? Yeah, well like they say, if everything is, is against the law, everyone's a criminal, right? The more laws you have, the more lawlessness you have. Right, by definition. So, I mean, really, they should be terrified and horrified that, hey, I, I cheated on my college exams. Am I up there next? I, I have sex with two people a year. I mean, am I, am I going to be a murderer? It's, um, yeah. yeah do, do I need to get cut down into quivering bloody sushi? Or when Buzzsaw gets introduced, they say he has trilon-coated Durasteel in his chainsaw. Yeah, buddy. So um, the next note I have is Dynamo. Uh, so Dynamo is this super fat guy 
who wears this like light bright suit, not only I mean to increase his like dork factor even more, he um he sings opera and he shoots electricity, which is, you know, pretty cool generally. But he drives around in this dorky little go kart with his giant head sticking out. <laughs> I mean he's the antithesis of like a scary thing coming at you. And he's uh, anyway, it's it's really really funny. And when it gets worse um, uh, in his final scene, it gets even worse. Yeah, it gets even worse. Um, but there are some sweet guitar licks uh, playing during the action scenes, especially during this, this action scene here. So uh, the light bright guy, he kills the nerd who is trying to interface with, uh, get the codes for the satellite. I mean, I wasn't really super paying attention about this part, but apparently like, the resistance is going to broadcast truth on their airwaves, and that happens later at the end of the movie. But in order to do that, they have to hack the, the satellite. And so the nerd is like hacking this computer, which is conveniently within this bombed out area. And uh, Lightbright comes along and he shoots him and kills him. Then Electrolyte Orchestra, he chases down Arnie and then he crashes his go-kart. And the crowd all of a sudden changes and they want, they want his blood. They want Arnold to kill him, but he's kind of sitting there helpless and he's like crying for help and that sort of thing. And he refuses to do it. And this is like our showing that our hero has like compassion and he'll spare his opponent and that sort of thing. But then he you know, he gets another one-liner and uh, the girl asks, you know, what happened to Buzzsaw? And he's like, oh, <laughs> we missed that guy. I guess I stopped. I didn't me- mention that. But he already fought with Buzzsaw. He's like got this chainsaw. And it's like this kind of wrestling scene where they're fighting hand-to-hand and ends up chainsawing his 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 gonads. <laughs> and so then uh, Schwarzenegger says he had to split. Yeah, that was one of those fights where it was like uh, an arm wrestling match where like it's starting to go one way and then it goes the other way and then it goes the other way again. Uh, so that was the feat of strength. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say yeah, the buzzsaw character was the closest match to Arnold's physicality for sure. Yeah, well, and he was going after him with a motorcycle trying to buzzsaw him from, from the motorcycle initially. That's kind right. of badass. Yeah, no, by far, Buzzsaw was by far the most competent, seemingly. I mean, maybe maybe Fireball, but I would say Buzzsaw would probably be the most dangerous. The rest of them seem kind of, like, ridiculous, like, dumb. Like, I mean, I mean, okay, first of all, you're, you're super lucky if you're wearing ice skates that your, your opponents happen to be, like, on an ice rink at the time, because <laughs> otherwise you're limiting yourself to chasing down people that are only on ice rinks. <laughs> Whereas Buzzsaw, he can pretty much chase you anywhere with that motorbike. Mm, light bright, maybe not so much with the little go-kart, but eh. Well, that go-kart was his undoing. Yeah. He tries to go up the ramp of garbage and then flips over. Yeah, and then he's, he can't get out because he's just trapped because he's useless. But, yeah, and there were a couple of like cheesy lines that Arnold threw at him because he was trying to get his attention. He goes, hey, Lighthead, a Christmas tree. Follow me, light bulb. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's, he's asking for it, dressing like he does. I mean, he looked ridiculous. Um, so then when he spares Lightbright, um, they send uh, Jim Brown, who plays Fireball. Oh, before, before we get to that, before we get to that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he kills Lightbright, and then Richard Dawson gets him on the private. No, he um, doesn't kill Lightbright. He spares no, Lightbright. No. Oh, he spares him, right. But then he gets, uh, Richard Dawson gets with Arnie on the closed circuit television you know, off scene, like the audience doesn't see this, but they offer Arnold the stalker deal. Like, hey man, 
you killed two of our guys now, three of our guys. We want you to be one of our guys. And he turns him down right. and he says, I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine. Classic 80s line. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, he's, the guy's actively trying to murder him. So. Uh, yeah, so Fireball, for some reason, can fly. He's got a little jetpack. He basically just goes around with a flamethrower. And there's a, kind of a chase scene where the girl ends up in this room with uh, these skeletons who just conveniently have their dog tags on them still, which I guess not a thing. I mean, why would prisoners have dog tags? I guess maybe, but nobody else has dog tags on. It didn't make any sense. Whatever. You have to identify these skeletons somehow, I guess. But so we find out that shocker, um, you know, they've been lied to about even having any chance of, of winning this thing. It's a completely rigged game and you will be murdered. So the only chance is to completely go rogue and to fight back. So then uh, Fireball he chases him down. There's like a um, oxygen tanks or some fuel tanks or some barrels of oil or something where he gets too close to that, as I recall, something like that. And then Arnold's like, how about the light? And he throws something and ignites the whole thing. And, of course, you're strapped to a fuel tank. So he blows up. And he goes, what a hothead. And I'm sorry, we're spoiling all the best one-liners in this movie, but I'm sorry. <laughs> they're, they're so, they stick out I mean, to, to a modern audience. I, you just don't get this crap anymore, so it's, it's kind of fun to go back and watch these old movies. They're just totally different. Yeah, this was definitely a different viewing from when I first saw it you know, 20 years ago. Right. Let's see. Then uh, Captain Freedom comes out wearing some tinfoil armor, and he's like, I look stupid. I'm not doing this. I used to I used to kill people with my bare hands, man to man, not wearing all this crap, Killian. And he's like, get out of here and just do it. So so Captain Freedom basically says, screw this, I'm out. And so what they have to do is they get some stuntmen and they use some digital matte effects to basically paste Arnold's face and whatever onto a stuntman's body. And they show to the crowd, they say, hey, we're going live to this thing. And it's basically just a bunch of stuntmen fighting it out where they appear to kill both the girl and Arnold. And then Captain Freedom is victorious. I thought it was funny. At one point, somebody makes a, a reference to Spock and uh, the guy goes, who's Mr. Spock? And so this is like a universe where Star Trek doesn't exist. Kind of weird, but or not. It exists, but not for some people like it exists for some people. But not like the new generation where all of art and history has been expunged and Star Trek is one of the censored things. That yeah, I think that was the point of it. Nick knew about it because he was an older guy, but computer hacker dude was a young guy and he everything's been scrubbed already. Right. So And yeah, so Star Trek would be one of the things that would be scrubbed for whatever reason. So then there's a final battle where so Mick has the code and they upload it to the satellite and they broadcast, you know, like the truth to the studio audience, and we assume the audience at home, but we don't see that. And there's a big, big old dumb final action scene where the good guys can't miss, nobody ever reloads, and the guns are just really bad. The, the bad guys always miss. They're stormtroopers. You know, yeah, it's really just dumb. Um, it, it seems like the kind of thing where you make it up on the spot just before you're about to shoot the scene. You don't block it up really so much beforehand. 
make like storyboards at all. You you just go, hey, let's just have us shoot at you and you shoot at us and you'll miss and we'll hit you and that's your action scene. Uh, there is a fun little scene where, well, fun, where uh, Lightbright goes to rape our female lead and she ends up killing him. I, I, I missed how he got electrocuted. Did you notice how what that was? Uh, something to do with water. Like she got water on him somehow and that suit wasn't so, designed to handle any amount of water. And he's wearing his so like, big ass tidy whities I don't know why he was trying to rape her. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was a really, it seemed a very contrived, like thrown in scene just to make it edgy <laughs> or something. Yeah. And just make these people like super evil. And yeah, uh, it's kind of weird, but I mean, it was like kind of funny because she says that he's a dick, dickless moron with a battery up his ass. Mm, yeah. Then we get new wave music for the action scene. And then uh, Killian's excuse as he's about to get killed by Arnold. There's a big showdown. For some reason, Killian has not left the building. He's, like, still there for some reason. And Arnold is, you know, about to kill him. And Killian says, well, this is just all for ratings, man. This is, you know, it's nothing personal. We're just giving them what they want. And as if that's any kind of justification for murder, it's, it's popular and people want it. Well, he also says, you know, for 50 years we've told them what to think, what to eat, what to wear. So it's a bit of a commentary on media manipulation, I guess. Yeah, but it's also, isn't that also a um, a helpless against the advertisers kind of an argument? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very Galbraithian. They'll advertise something and you'll instantly want it. Uh, so it's, the propaganda is very strong. I mean, not not to say that propaganda doesn't have some influence, but... I don't think that we're all just helpless consumers. Advertising is not evil. It's a method by which you become aware of something. If you don't know something right. exists, you're not going to know that it's there to satisfy some need you have. Yeah, you know? as if we're like brainless automatons that are programmed by advertising. It completely goes against the idea of self-ownership. Like I have no power over my own ability to discern information and to decide which product I want to buy. Ridiculous. Unless it's health insurance, then then you have to buy it. But that's that's another story for another day. Yeah, buddy. Did you have any other uh, bits and pieces or baubles you wanted to discuss on this? I mean, that was that was the end of the movie. Then uh, Arnold shoves him down this tube shoot thing, squirts him out, and for some reason it shoots him through his own billboard, whereas before it didn't. I didn't I didn't catch why it made it did that. I don't understand why when they shoot him out. It kills him, but when they shoot Arnold and everybody else out, it stops and they can get out safely. <laughs> Did you see why that was? I don't know. Uh, it was just for effect. So this was the bobsled run that goes under the city and, and into the 400 square block arena area. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just shot him, uh, overshot him a little bit through his own billboard and he blew up. And you know, 1987 special effects action. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Well, yeah. I mean, when you when you fly into a billboard you know that all those billboards are laced with explosives. So if you, you know, you got a, you got a bobsled and you hit that, you know, you're doomed. Makes sense. Yeah. So that was pretty much the movie. As uh, you were saying, I feel like we meandered quite a bit on this. Uh, what's your overall impression, Robert? Before I answer that, I need to meander a little bit more. So I was watching the Dawson character in the movie. And when I watch an old movie, it occurs to me, you know, is this guy still alive? And so I Google him. And it turns out, no, he's dead. But one of the first results is Dawson talking about his child bride that he met on Family Feud. 
And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I didn't know that he married somebody he met on the Family Feud. So I got to check that out. And so he's talking about it, and he's mentioning how she was like a part of a multi-day winner family, and she was the youngest of the two daughters on the show, and that she was going to like San Diego State University at the time. And so then the next click, you know, is the next link is a YouTube video of that exact episode where he meets her for the first time. So I'm like, well, I have to watch that. <laughs> I have to see how good looking this lady is and you know, what the disparity is like. And yeah, it looks pretty bad. I mean, he looks like he's a 50-year-old man and she looks like she's a 20-year-old girl, which is what they were. Um, but I, you know, so just, just as a fun aside. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the movie, it was fun. It was, I don't think the King wrote it as a fun kind of uh, action-y type thing. I bet you it's more of a 1984 dystopian um, murder, um, you know, type of a movie. You hire Arnold Schwarzenegger to do it, and uh, he's going to bring Arnold to it, and he's going to bring a, you know, chomping some cigars and spouting some one-liners, and because he knows what the audience wants when they go to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think it holds up. You no, know, not the special effects, and not all that, and definitely not like the almost non-existent love story that all of a sudden turns into a love story at the end when they kiss. Like, okay, you're just having them kiss because clearly it's just the man and the woman in the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fun. The best takeaway I can take from it is just that it was it was fun. Uh, you don't take it too seriously. You know, it's it's kind of anti-government, right? It's 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 kind of anarchy, freedom against the totalitarian state. So, I mean, it seems like it's kind of up our alley to do this kind of a movie. Yeah, it's um, in our wheelhouse. Yeah, it's in our wheelhouse. It's not necessarily the most serious take on it. I mean, if you watch a movie like 1984, the one that came out in 1984, uh, it's a very somber, very depressing type of a movie, whereas this is more of an upbeat, you know, Coca-Cola and McDonald's style take on totalitarian regimes and dystopias. But yeah, I'd recommend it. Check it out, man. If you haven't seen it in a while, go back. You can go back on this one. You can go back and still have a good time. Yeah, it's got me hankering for even more Arnie movies, so we might do another one in the future. But yeah, we, we saw this one on the Voodoo. It was one of the ones that was free. Uh, you had to watch a couple of ads, but they were pretty innocuous. I don't know if it'll still be on there for much longer. Um, we watched this just a couple of days ago, and now it's about the end of the month, beginning of the next month, so it might slough off or not. But if you do get a chance to watch it, you want to reminisce a little bit about 80s peak Schwarzenegger with his terrible one-liners and chomping cigars, why not? It's it's a fun popcorn flick. It hits the spot, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some good, cheesy, you know, comical villain-type characters that uh, are pretty over-the-top and just silly. So it's a, it's a good time, although I, I don't know how Stephen King felt about it. He probably thought it wasn't treated with the uh, respect the story was due. I mean, I imagine, I haven't read the original story, I think it's a novella. I don't think it's a full-length novel, and it's not quite a short story. I would imagine that he didn't mean it to be like a comedy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. On the wiki, it says that they had an original director who was fired one week into filming, and he was replaced by the guy who ended up uh, doing the film. And Arnold apparently thought that was a terrible decision, later said that Glazer, the guy who was the director, shot the movie like it was a television, a television show, and it lost all of its deeper themes. I could see that. There is definitely not really good cinematography in this movie. I would say that it, it looks like a, a TV show from the 80s, especially in the gunfight scenes. I mean, if you put the gunfight scene 
in this versus any gunfight scene in like the A-Team or the Rockford Files or any of those kind of shows. They're about on par, which is a shame and stupid for a movie with, you know, a much larger budget. They may have even used the same stock clips. Who knows? Yeah, it's just pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. But still a fun movie. Yeah, absolutely. I recommend it. I don't, I don't, I don't rate it highly. I mean, this is like a, you know, like a five or a six. But, you know, sometimes you just want some good schlock. You don't necessarily need to see, uh, you know, a best picture of the year movie. You just, you just want to have some fun and watch a little popcorn flick and laugh at not only what there is actually happening on the screen, but laugh at the filmmaker's attempts at making a movie. So. That makes me think maybe we need to have some sort of rating system or some kind of indicator for the movies that we do. So if anyone in the audience has any recommendations, like I remember the movie reviews on In Living Color, that show in the 90s that Marlon and Damon Wayans were on and Jim Carrey Men was on. Men on Film? Yeah, Men on Film. Two Snaps Up in a Circle, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> I'm not going to do Two Snaps Up in a Circle, Daniel. Well, that would just be stealing, right? Yeah, you don't want to steal any intellectual property. Uh, but, you know, something like that might be fun or some kind of rating rating system of some sort. Why not? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, Mr. Sunday Movies, he does best movie ever, worst movie ever. So on that scale, what would you put it, Daniel? Oh, best movie ever. I mean, if best it's, movie ever, that's if right. it's those two options. <laughs> those are your only options, man. Yeah, best movie ever. Absolutely. Best movie ever for me, for sure. Good times. Not a good movie. <laughs> But it's the best movie ever. Yeah, watch it. Do it. Do it. Go back and uh, listen to our shows. Do that, too. Check out the, the battleforliberty.com slash 39, our interview episode that came out just a couple days ago. And check out this at actualanarchy.com slash 25. Yeah, baby. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Shit, I ain't got nothing to say. I think we killed this this this, this movie. Uh, I think um, it's a dead, dead movie. It's laying on the ground bleeding out at this point <laughs> yeah i don't know what else there is to say uh thanks for listening check us out on twitter facebook booyah booyah well hey guys thank you so much for joining us for the anarchy podcast doing the running man our amazon links liberty classroom all those other good things check us out on youtube patreon etc and i just have really one thing to say at the end of all of this you know what that thing is robert i'll be back we'll be back Ah, that's true. We'll probably be back with another episode next week, guys. Stay tuned for that. Peace out, homies. Take care. The Chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do, 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 do